Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman, and my pronouns are she and her. On today, we have Catherine, who is a math teacher currently living in China. You can connect with her on Twitter at math, M-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-P. We will also be sure to include her Twitter handle in the show notes. Enjoy our conversation. Um, so my name is Catherine. I'm from Colorado in the U.S. originally, and I'm in China right now. So I just finished three years at one school in China, and now I'm moving to Shanghai to a new school in the fall. Um, and my pronouns are she and her, and I'm a queer math teacher. Great, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us, especially in light of um, I know that that position of sort of being in the middle of getting ready to start at a new school, you know, it's really exciting, but of course it's very stressful too. Um, you know, you're, you're sort of about to not only have a different location, but you have different colleagues, you have different students, um, you know, it's just mapping out where things are on the campus as well as like which grocery store are you going to go to? Um, all of those things, of course, can be really taxing. So we do appreciate so much you giving up um, this time when time, I'm sure, is so critical um, yeah, to you right course. now. Very excited. I'm wondering uh, if we could just sort of start our conversation really with a little bit of story tell sharing, if you will. I've been thinking a lot about how powerful storytelling is, especially in our context where so many people... Um, might not be all that familiar with what experiences of queer educators are like. And I'm wondering if you would just sort of offer up, you know, a very short anecdote really that speaks to your experience in education and links specifically to your identity. Um, you know, really, in other words, can you offer us a story that really illustrates the unique experience that queer educators have. Um, the, the quote by Bell Hooks says that being queer is about being um, about the self that is at odds with everything around it and has to invent and create and find a place to speak and to thrive and to live. Um, and that really captured a lot of what my experience has been as a queer educator, just like being in a situation where you're often the only one. Um, and just having to consider things that maybe other teachers aren't having to consider, um, like, especially in my early teaching career, um, I just remember spending a lot of time, like, thinking about my physical appearance and kind of, you know, always feeling a pressure to conform to the, the gender norms for a cis woman, um, and then just not knowing, like, how it would go over if I kind of um, steered away from that. And um, yeah, cause you're like a teacher, you're like up in front of the class, like kids are just staring at you all day, <laughs> like very visible. Um, and so that's one experience that stands out and it took a really long time in 2019. Actually, I did something I'd always wanted to do which was shaving my head. And I just remember like how it took so long to, to get to that point because I just didn't know how people were going to react to it. Um, and then it was really nice. Like I remember the day I showed up to school with my new freshly shaven head. Um, I remember like one of my kids saw me in the hall and went out of his way to say, Miss Peterson, I really love your new haircut. Um, and yeah, it was actually like, yeah, not, I, I was really happy that it wasn't quite as big of a deal as I was afraid it might be. Um, but yeah, it was like a very 
emotional experience leading up to that. And then another anecdote I have also that that came to mind is just the this really incredible experience when you're a queer educator and then you have queer students in your classes and just um, like the the way that you can make them feel seen and understood. Um, even when you're like, I've been in a lot of school environments where I can't be like really out about things. Um, but you know, I have like my, my rainbow phone case and my rainbow sticker on my water bottle. And um, at the start of school last year, I remember one of my kids came in to meet me on the first day and they saw the rainbow sticker on my water bottle and the trans flag on my water bottle and they got super excited and they started telling me about how they had had like their own little mini pride celebration over the summer with their friends. So you know, being able to connect with with queer students in that way and support them has been a really great part of the experience. Well, and it's interesting, Catherine, because so many people that I've spoken to on the podcast have actually talked about that, how having just sort of a very small signal, um, how positively it has been received, not just by students who identify as queer, but you know, other students who I think are very much aware of where are safe spaces in schools, where are the teachers who are really making an effort to be inclusive and, and signaling that. I think those small details do not go unnoticed um, and, and don't go unnoticed by fellow teachers either. You know, I, I really, uh, what you said resonates with me about the idea that we're, we're very visible people, right? You know, I, I think teachers are often looking other teachers for examples to be set. Um, in, in the work that I do, I offer a lot of online trainings and inevitably after every single one of them, I have at least one person either send me a private message or an email to say, hey, I appreciated seeing your pronouns um, You know, in, in your bio. Like I am also in a situation where I'll be doing remote learning and I'm thinking about including that too. So I just think those those things that we sometimes think of or label as small signals, there's not really anything small about them. Um, yeah. they, they, they often do start really big, big conversations. Yeah, definitely. Um, Catherine, so again, you know, we, we started off talking about you being in between schools right now, getting ready to start a new one. And of course, um, my experience has been you can't help but compare, right? Like often <laughs> for the first term yeah. or so you're thinking like, oh, this is different. And, you know, maybe it's better, maybe it's worse than what was happening before. And, and I, I do understand very much that no school is perfect. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, I do have some, some school leaders who listen to these episodes and, and they've been great about reaching out and saying, you know, conversations with educators are, are helping me rethink how inclusive my campus is. So I'm wondering what advice you might give to a school leader who's listening and they're hoping to retain queer members of staff. They want to make sure that you are there for years and years to come. Um, what recommendations might you have for a school leader like that? Yeah, um, I think a, a big thing that's come up in conversation with other queer educators is that we just really want to be able to support our queer students and and I've been in several schools where I wanted to start um, sort of a queer straight alliance with students and I had interested students and then was told that it couldn't happen for a variety of reasons because the board of directors wouldn't like it or because parents wouldn't like it or 
Um, so I know that's a really common issue that I think a lot of queer educators face sometimes. Um, and then also just, I mean, what I would love is just for an administrator to educate themselves on the issues that the LGBTQ community faces um, and just and take on some of the work that I know a lot of queer teachers are, are trying to do. Because um, at one school I was teaching at, I like, I remember one day I heard this like fourth grader in the hallway just yelling out this homophobic slur, the F word, and I was kind of like, what? <laughs> Um, and I went to talk to her about it and she didn't know what this word meant. Um, but it just really was alarming to me. And I wanted, I went to meet with admin to tell them about this. And I like had some ideas about things we could do to address homophobic language. Um, and then I would just face, I was just told that every idea I had, like, no, that's not something we can do here. Parents will get upset if we have rainbows up around the school, like, um, and I, I just felt really powerless. Um, and then that is when I, I decided after that, I did realize like maybe having these small signals, like my, you know, my rainbow phone case, there's really small things like that do send a signal to kids. Um, and then when I found out I was leaving that school, I also felt a bit more empowered um, because at that school, I just felt like if I spoke about these issues, I, I wasn't really convinced that I would have support from admin if a parent did get upset. Um, so once I knew that I um, had another job and it was my last year there, I just felt like I could push the envelope a little more. Um, and I ended up getting, I, I had all these rainbow flags and I was like, I'm just gonna put one up on my desk. And then some other teachers sat and they were like, oh, like, can I have a rainbow flag too? That's really cool. And one of my queer students saw it when they came in and they're like, oh, cool. So um, that ended up like having a really positive impact on a lot of students and teachers at my school. Um, but then it's something that I had explicitly been told like, no, you're not allowed to do that. That can't happen. Um, um, and then, and I also, I was teaching a well-being class once a week and I kind of snuck in some information about different um, LGBTQ identities when we were talking about relationships and the kids were really interested in it and they had all these amazing questions. Um, so it just would have been nice to like have admin support for those things instead of having to kind of just like sneakily do it on my own and see what would happen. Um, but something I did really appreciate at that school is that I got to run a workshop for staff um, about how to be a, an ally to LGBTQ students. Um, and that was really impactful. And like on the last day of school, a lot of teachers mentioned like some really specific things that they had taken away from that that they were going to, to put into practice. Um, so yeah, I just kind of felt like I've been in situations where it kind of feels like I'm the only one trying to do this work and just having admin who are also invested in that work would be really, really powerful. Yeah, and you know, I love that we're talking about kind of, again, the idea of small signals, the big influence they have. And one of those I find is, you know, when someone is doing that, that work, like you mentioned of running a workshop, if you're a school leader, get to that workshop. You know, I, I really do think that sends a huge, huge message in terms of 
Uh, I know school leaders are very, very busy, um, but when you decide I need to be in the room or I need to be doing the learning too, it really does inspire other staff to realize like, okay, you know, leadership thinks this is important. Um, it has a little bit of that, that trickle down effect, I think a little bit faster and, you know, you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. The, the onus cannot be on just the queer staff. It's, it's really, really unfair. Um, I'm yeah. sure that that took, uh, you know, quite the heavy emotional toll on you to, to feel yeah. like all the weights on your shoulders. And there's also like every single school has queer students in it, even if they're not out. Cause I, I also spoke with the counseling department, um, when I was trying to implement some things at my school and, and I remember the counselors had this moment of reflection where they were like, well, there's not like really any out students at our school, but maybe it's because they don't actually feel any support. And so they're scared to come out. And then I was like, yes, <laughs> that is likely true. Yeah, that, that's, and I, I think it's, you have to make that assumption as a school leader that of course there are queer students here. And that of course, you know, there's homophobia, biphobia, transphobia at every school. Um, you know, I think sometimes schools can be on the other end of the spectrum from, from what you're describing, where they've done a lot of PD, um, they've rethought policies, uh, they've got great inclusive libraries, et cetera, et cetera. But you cannot get complacent and think the work is done. Um, you know, I, I almost find sometimes when schools really engage in this work, it is great but often it also sets into motion just some potential backlash, right? So I think we have to be very careful about progress is something that has to be nurtured and tended to um, throughout. It's not as though, okay, we do a lot of this work and then we're done. Um, you know, it, it's never done. Yeah. So Catherine, I hope that's not a challenge that you face when you go into your new school, but of course, you know, educators, whenever they're going into schools, they will face challenges, right? Like um, it, it's, it's difficult to jump ships, so to speak. And I'm wondering if you might share with us, um, you know, I know that you can't see into the future, but what are some of the challenges that you are predict predicting or anticipating or, you know, opportunities maybe that you're looking forward to um, as you almost get ready to start the next academic school year? Yeah, um, I mean, I get what, what I see ahead are mostly opportunities because, um, you know, this, my last school was like my first um, entrance into the world of international teaching. Like I just had no idea what it would be like. I just accepted the first job that had been offered to me. And um, so after that experience, I just, when I was looking for a new job, I just had such a better idea of what I wanted and connecting with other queer educators on Twitter, um, gave me like a better idea too, of like what, what is possible to have at a school. Um, and when I was, um, doing my interview, like I was very explicit. I was like, I told them that, you know, part of the reason I was searching for a new job is that I haven't like felt fully supported as a queer educator at other schools. And I, I had a friend who was working at the school already um, that I'll be moving to. So I did feel like there was like some safety where it was okay for me to tell these people who I didn't really know very well, like, yes, I am queer and 
I'm really interested in doing this work. Um, and it's, I mean, I think like, uh, I can't really overstate the importance of Twitter in my life the past few years, because, you know, I think so many queer people grow up with this internalized homophobia and we like feel like our queer identity needs to be completely separate from our teacher identity. Um, and just meeting other people, especially through the queer edu chat um, that Justin runs on Twitter. Like I got to meet other teachers who were, they were teachers and they were very openly queer. And then I just kind of realized like these two things could you know, exist together. And I think, and I, I have a lot of privilege too, because I am a more experienced teacher. And so in my job hunt, I could be like a little pickier. Um, but I just felt like there was a lot of value and just being very upfront about my identity and what I wanted. Um, and I asked them like very explicitly, like, what are you doing to support LGBT students at your school? And they gave me like very specific answers. Like they are trying to get rid of heteronormative practices at their school. So like with prom, there's no longer prom king and queen titles. It's just prom court. And, um, you know, they gave me answers where I was like, okay, this school like seems to actually like care about these issues and they're actually doing work. This school actually has an LGBT consultant who works for them. Um, and they, they told me that they were very interested in me starting a student group. Um, so yeah, it was just a really cool opportunity to be able to find a school that just matches so many of my values. Um, and I think, I think a big challenge in moving schools is just like figuring out the school and its systems and like figuring out who your allies are and I think I was really lucky. I got like assigned a buddy at my new school um, who I've been talking with a lot over the summer. And she is also like super passionate about um, working on these issues. And um, yeah, I just, I've already met several people at the school who are really supportive of, of all this work. So I feel like that's a, a good sign. Um, but yeah, I feel like it can be hard in a new school to figure out like who, who's doing this, who's also doing this work. It's, if it's not something that the school is like doing out in the open. Because um, in my last school, I ended up finding out that the librarians were really amazing allies. They had been ordering a lot of books for our library about diverse identities, but that's, I didn't even figure that out until I'd been at the school for like two and a half years. Hmm. Um, so. Yeah, it's just a, yeah, it's, it's been a very cool experience to be able to look for a new school with this part of my identity in mind and feel supported before I even entered the school. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, the example that you gave from that interview, uh, you know, in my mind, that's, that's great because it's, it's not just the example of we know the word heteronormativity, I feel like, okay, already, there we go. We're off to a good start, but that they, you know, they saw it and they realized we can, we can make change. And, you know, it wasn't, Hey, we don't have to cancel prom. We can still sort of continue something that we think is important, but we're just going to tweak the language a little bit. We're just going to think about the signal that that sends. Um, I, I just think that's a wonderful example of a school saying, 
Um, let's not necessarily get so stuck in the weeds of, oh no, it's a problem. Uh, we can't do anything about it. I love that it's, let's identify this thing. Let's do something about it. Um, and wow, you know, there, there is a solution. And that kind of relates to the next question I wanted to ask you about, because Catherine, math people always amaze me. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like I was not a great math student when I was growing up. Um, and I feel like it was a missed opportunity because there is an awful lot of um, math that you do need to know. And it's very useful to you in your, in your real life to come uh, as an adult, not that being a student is not your real life, but um, certainly just, you know, working through chapter five, the odd problems, it didn't seem like it had any real world consequences for me at the time. So people who are, are skillful at math always, you're like superheroes in my mind. And I'm wondering, (laughs) um, you know, if you've thought a little bit about the intersection of your identity being queer and being mathematically gifted, in what ways might taking a mathematical stance or having a mathematical mindset, um, you know, also kind of link up with the way that you you think about being a, a queer educator or, you know, even when you were thinking about moving to a different school, like, do you feel that um, in some ways being a mathematician you know, it's the, it's the question I think about sometimes, you know, if, if I'm a gymnast or I'm thinking about people that are great at gymnastics, like where else does that play out in your real, you know, in, in, in just sort of other scenarios? Like if I'm Simone Biles, am I just like in the kitchen having no problem getting the colander off the top of the fridge and using those skills <laughs> in that place? So is there, is there a junction where those two identities kind of merge that others might not realize? That was the longest question I think I've ever asked on the show, yeah. by the way, too. I just set my a little record there. Yeah. Um, I also, like, from my perspective, like, math has just always come naturally to me. So I'm always amazed by people who, like, have a talent for, like, analyzing literature, like some of these other skills that I lacked when I was in school. Um, so let's see. Um, my, well, yeah, I mean, I, I did, I was listening to an episode you did recently with Dr. Brandy Wade. Um, that was, it's hard, like, you know, I grew up doing math the same way that you did where, you know, we, we got assigned the odd problems on this page, but for the way my brain works, I loved that. And I was like, yes, give me odds and evens to do (laughs) these problems. Um, So yeah, I think I still have a view of math that like is shaped by my upbringing. Um, And I think I know there there's like, sometimes there's math teachers who really struggled with math as a kid. And I feel like they sometimes have an advantage over me. Like, um because sometimes you know I'm like oh yeah this is just how it works like this is how the math works and I feel like so over the past few years as I've grown as a math educator I've like thought more about how to make math connect to kids I mean I've always tried to do that during throughout my career but I think there were times where I just didn't even realize like oh yeah this is not making sense to the kids even though it's just inherently logical to me and it makes sense um so yeah um what dr wade talked about in her interview i know she was talking about like that math camp that she's running for queer kids and i know that was just mind-blowing to me and yeah there's just 
Um, yeah, there's, there's such a, mm, yeah, math is just so much more than what I realized it was when um, I was a kid. I just, I, I really related a lot to what um, Dr. Wade was talking about in the episode, like kind of um, seeing your idea of math grow as you also see your your own identity grow and your own queerness grow. Um, and let's see. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I do want to be at a school where, because, yeah, obvious, the way I think about math does not serve a lot of kids. Um, and I've done a lot of work over the past few years figuring out how to make math um, this more tangible and more interesting for all kids, like especially kids who maybe traditionally haven't um, felt successful with math. So that was a big thing that I was looking for too in a school was a school that um, valued um, like getting students to really make sense of math for themselves. Um, and yeah, just having a, a culture of like teaching math through a lens of inquiry where it is actually like engaging to the kids and it's, it's meeting them where they're at. And I, you know, I almost wonder if that stance of, you know, putting the learner before the subject, like mm -hmm. in my mind, that is also what a school that wants to be LGBTQ plus inclusive. Yeah. It's really thinking about, okay, these are human beings and yeah. we want, we want them to make sense of the world. And, you know, I, I, um, I was thinking about this recently uh, because I was listening to uh, the author of a book that's called The Tragedy of Heterosexuality. And she's talking a lot about how, um, you know, as a, as a queer woman, she thinks the common narrative in media is like, it's terrible to be gay. Being a lesbian is awful. You're such a sad person. And, you know, she says, that's not my lived experience as a lesbian. Like, I love being queer. I, I love being a lesbian. I love being married to a woman. And she says, you know, the, the thing about being a queer person is you don't have the same script handed to you that a straight person does. Like, you know, you are figuring out, um, okay, what do I want this to be about? Because it's not, you know, my experience isn't the one that it's been again and again and again, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's your gendered role. Um, and I, I kind of think what you're discussing there in terms of like shifting math practice too, is like, we, we don't have to continue to repeat that script of go to chapter two, do the odd problems only. Like we can sort of, you know, be thinking math, you know, is, is really beautiful. When I was working as an instructional coach, it always amazed me to go and be in math classrooms because just how profoundly different it is now um, was mind boggling to me. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I kind of, I, I think that's the, it's thinking student first, right? Um, yeah. yeah, I really like everything that you said. I think, yeah, like, honestly, like my number one goal as a math teacher is just for my kids to have fun. And I mean, yes, I want them to learn and my children do learn, but I really 
just want them to like feel at ease and feel accepted and and have fun above all else and yeah I think that does connect a lot to honoring like a, a student's whole identity and I I think some people are like oh like why like it's math class like why would their um gender presentation or their sexual orientation like why would any of that matter like you know it's math class and I think um yeah it is really important for our queer kids to to have their identities honored in in all of their classes and so yeah I think I think that is a big connection between my my desire the, the way that I see like supporting queer kids and and supporting my kids in math I just I want their whole identity to be honored and I want them to feel like they have a place in my classroom and I want them to yeah I just feel like they have a voice yeah especially you know I feel like it's almost become cliche now uh, you know we hear thrown around all the time this idea of like bring your whole self to school bring your whole self to work um and it's sort of like we're trying to, you know, um, it, it's, I, I think people in positions of leadership need to think about, well, in what ways might that be easier for some and harder for others? And what can we do to mix that up? Um, so Catherine, uh, a question that I've been asking to all of the guests across the summer, um, I know that this is often the time where we might have just a little tiny bit more headspace to you know, see that movie that we wanted to see, or listen to that album, or read that book, um, and I'm wondering if if you would just you know talk a little bit about any of the resources this summer that you have made some time for, or you know I I totally realize you still have some summer to come. So is there anything um, that you're hoping to get to if you've not made your way um, to consume it just yet? Yeah, um, there's a film that I watched last week, uh, the documentary Changing the Game, um, about three teenage trans athletes. Um, and I, yeah, it was amazing. Um, the, the youth featured in the documentary were just incredible people. And it was really interesting to see how like the demonization of these trans children, like mostly came from the adults. Um, a lot of their teammates are really supportive of them. And it was just so important to see how crucial sports are for these kids. Um, so yeah, I know the there's a lot of things happening in the US right now, legislation that's going, being discussed about trans kids and sports. And yeah, they're just kids who wanna play sports um, and um yeah the the film was just really powerful and like giving some really like clear examples like very personal examples of why why it's so important to let trans kids play sports on on the team that they feel like they identify with um another resource um there's a a person on Instagram who I love named Alok Vaidmanon. They're a, a non-gender conforming activist and author and fashion icon. And um, the other name is Alok, A-L-O-K. And I've been following their work for a long time. Um, they're just, they're amazing. They're also like a scholar. They're always reading books about 
um, gender issues and LGBT issues. And then they put little book reports together on Instagram that have been great. Um, this summer, they've been sharing a lot of their fashion looks that I appreciate. And they've also been doing a lot of work um, about body hair acceptance, which I think is really important. Um, so I highly recommend looking up Alok on Instagram. Um, and then I also love music. I was a radio DJ for a long time. And so I put together a playlist on Spotify for, for folks to listen to some of my favorite queer artists. Um, and that was really fun to put together last week. A lot of the songs were like songs I already had in mind, but then I was also kind of digging around and found some, some new artists that I hadn't heard before that are on the playlist. So appreciative of you putting that together. And listeners, the link to that playlist is in the show notes. And I'm wondering, Catherine, if you would direct folks to, um, you know, within that playlist, if they were to start with one song or one yeah. artist. Um, Let me review the playlist. Yep, take, take a moment to go ahead and review. Uh, but if, if you were going to kind of direct us to, a, okay, if, you know, if you're going to, kick off this playlist maybe even thinking it's summertime what would be your cutest <laughs> one up first for your summertime listening enjoyment um, I did I, I put the it's kind of a upbeat dancey fun summer playlist um let's see I don't know so many good songs I mean yeah one that I love is by Jackie Shane. Um, she was a trans soul singer from, though I want to say like the 60s. I'd have to look that up for sure. But yeah, that song Sticks and Stones by Jackie Shane is a great one. Um, they're all really good. I had a lot of fun putting the playlist together. And I've had a lot of fun listening to it. So thank you so much for putting that together. And, and listeners, I think, um, you know, that, that's, that's a great playlist to check out. And, you know, we've, we've talked throughout really the, the last almost hour about small signals that can have big impact. And I also think for teachers who, you know, if you play music in the classroom, making sure that, you know, you, you have the, the queer artist every once in a while, it, it amazes me how often students know that. Um, I, I'm not too embarrassed to share that one time I was playing Haley Kyoko for students and students were kind of walking in Haley Kyoko's on. And one of the students was like, miss, I can't believe, you know, Haley Kyoko. Another student was like, of course she knows she's gay. And the other student said back, yes, but she's old. And I just kind of love that, that it was like a compliment one second. And then like, oof, it wasn't the next, um, but I absolutely noticed that that background music, that's another little place for, for you to show up and advocate and be, in, be an ally. So Catherine, so, thank you so much for the playlist. Thank you so much for the conversation. Um, yeah, would love, and I would love to hear more like once you've settled into to, you know, your school year and you, you get that, that student group started up, it would be great to touch base again and just find out um, how things are going. But on behalf of everybody listening right now, have an absolutely great start to your school year in your new school home. Thank you. Thanks so much.